This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Um, I might sound a little croaky. Uh, you know, as I said um, last week, I was sick about, I don't know, a month ago now. I guess it takes a while to get over the plague. You, you figure it would be done in a few days, but good golly. Anyway, I'll do my best to not have to clear my throat too much and cough or sniffle, but I can't guarantee that I won't do any. <laughs> um, it's it's a, part of the reason why the voice is so is a little croaky and the cough thing is still kind of happening is uh, this is the first Dimland Radio after the second Thursday of the month, which means I went to the uh, Minnesota Skeptics Meetup and you know, which happens every second Thursday of the month. It's a it's a night that I look forward to each month. It's uh, uh, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy getting together with the uh, uh, fellow skeptics and learning stuff and talking about things. And we just sit around and say, "I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. You doubt it? Yep, I doubt it. You doubt it? Um, yeah, I doubt it. You know, I think I doubt you doubt it. What? No, no, I doubt it. Okay, that's what it is. For five, six hours. It's scintillating. No, no, no. They're really good people, and they're funny, and they're fun, and they're cool, and they're welcoming, and, and awesome. And I might drop a few names tonight, one or two, uh, because, uh, well, well, we'll just see where the show goes. Okay, uh, what do I have first to talk about? Oh, oh! Uh, if you happen to be uh, into the numerology thing, or uh, you're way into random, arbitrary coincidences that if they get you excited, oh, be prepared to change your pants. Uh, <laughs> I um, started Dimland Radio here on Z Talk Radio uh, way back when, uh, in March 2010. Uh, when this show airs on Z Talk on Saturday night uh, at 11 p.m. Central, wherever you are in the world, you'll have to figure it out. But hey, if you want to come by and go into the chat room, sometimes it's a little tricky to try to figure it out, but hopefully we can talk you through it if you, when you get there. But um, you go to the Listen Chat at uh, uh, ztalkradio.com, you'll be able to listen and chat with whoever's there. I'll be there. Uh, I'm there every Saturday night, even though I pre record this show. 
at least that way I can interact with uh, listeners and uh, you know see what they have to say and make jokes and they, they poke fun at me and you know tell me I sound like a fool or whatever and um, uh, so you could do that right so this Saturday when this show goes on will be just two days short of the actual anniversary my very first show went on uh, March 13th 2010 and uh, it was live then. I still do it live to laptop, but I don't, but I pre record. You know, does that make sense? So I don't really change anything up from what I do. It's just that uh, uh, I, I, I avoid the technical uh, issues that sometimes crop up with the uh, server. Sometimes it just decides to drop the uh, show while I'm doing it, and it's very distracting. And uh, yeah, so. Anyway. I'm trying not to uh, cough. Um, let's see. Uh, now, you're thinking, well, why would numerologists have wet pants at this point? Hang on. <laughs> it's uh, 3.11 would be, will be the date Saturday. 3.11 will be what the show is dated. It'll say Dimland Radio 3.11.17. Forget the 17 part. It's, it's, it's inconvenient in this little tale. But uh, 311. Well, since I short, started the show way back in 2010, I have done, and Saturday's show will be, my 311th show. 311 shows on 311. Huh? 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 And 311 is a band that I just barely know exists. I wouldn't be able to tell you a single song, so why I bring them up, I don't know. So, huh? see, all the numerologists now are just going, oh, 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 311, oh, oh boy, on 311, oh. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's, uh, it's no big deal. It's just I've done that many shows. Now, you YouTube listeners, this is show number 11. You can go back to the ztalkradio.com show archives page and be able to access uh, most of the first 300 shows. I have to clear my throat. I'll turn myself away from the microphone. <coughs> Sorry. I told you i got to do this once in a while. But I didn't want to not do a show because I got stuff. I got, I got things. And the first thing I've got um, is I talked about it with the, the Minnesota Skeptics folks uh, on Thursday and, I, and with uh, one of the uh, individual skeptics uh, even earlier than that. Something that uh, really bothered me, still bothers me, and it makes me feel more than just a little gross. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm a cartoonist, illustrator, and I do portraits, and I'm pretty good at some of the stuff that I do. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm great, but, you know, I'm good at some stuff. And, um, I, you know, I make just enough money doing cartooning and illustration to have to work a full-time job as an office manager for janitorial service and part-time as a janitor and part-time for a comic book store. So I make just enough money to be able to do all those other jobs. 
which is to say, I don't make any money, <laughs> or very little. And one of the jobs that I do make some money on, and it's been a fairly consistent job over the last, uh, the better part of the last 20 years. Now, I haven't done it every year of the last 20 years, but in the last six years for sure, because I found artwork going back to 2011, and I know I did stuff prior to that as well. But um, I've done this project for a fraternity at the University of Minnesota. And um, it started out when I started working at Cold Sight Silk Screening, which is a, a, a t-shirt printing shop in Minneapolis. You can look it up online, coldside.com. It's a you know nice shop. I like the owners. They're cool guys. And uh, it was a good place to work. It's where I met my wife. And I'll tell you that story some other time. And um, I was hired on there, uh, let's see, it was October 1996 as a staff artist. There were two of us working uh, at the time. Uh, another fellow who was the art director, and any time a cartooning heavy job would come through, he'd hand it to me and say, well, there you, there you go. So there was a job that came in that was for this fraternity, and what they wanted initially was just a, a bar scene with some overserved fellows. And uh, so I did that, and, and, you know, and as time went on, they, they decided that it would be really cool if they would take the members of the house and list out their names, and for each name there would be some, uh, some inside joke, something about them so that the other members would see the drawings, say, oh, that's so-and-so, and, -so, and they'd, they'd have a good laugh at the shirts and all that. And... Um, uh, they would so what they would do is they would present me with a spec sheet that would have uh, specifications. That's what we hip artist types call it when we get the information. It's called a spec sheet. I suppose other people call it that too with in other professions. But anyway, and it would have the list of names of each of the members of the fraternity, and and I would. Uh, you know, and, and a line or two about what they wanted to be done. You know, such as one would say, you know, Bob, drawn as uh, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, uh, in his underwear, uh, running with uh, uh, with an old-fashioned boat anchor, and he's got a, a dog leash tied to his waist or something like that. I think that was one of the images that I did. So I would draw that in, and yeah, and there were lots of images of. Uh, drunkenness and smoking pots and people throwing up and peeing and peeing on other people and just you know and it would be stuff that'd be eh, a little sexual and, no, and more than just a little sexual and I would try to find ways to draw it in a PG-13 or maybe rated R way but you know and they'd only do I don't know maybe 30 or 40 shirts but um, so I would find a way to make it work now, I'd always, uh, um, you know, uh, enjoyed the challenge of doing these designs because I do them up sort of, sort of like a Where's Waldo kind of thing where there's all kinds of people in, in a scene and you're supposed to find Waldo and other things in the drawings. Well, it's not quite the same style of drawing and it's not quite as packed with people, but I would put in upwards of 40 or more characters in there so it could be a complex piece of art. And, okay, all right. So that's the background. That's this thing. And I've been doing it 
you know, even since I stopped working at Coldside, they would still contact me and say, can you do this for us? And they'd always praise and say, you, know, you outdid yourself this year, and it's great, it's awesome, it's terrific, you know, whatever. Which is, which is you know, satisfying as an artist to hear people like your stuff. Well, uh, about the same time I was getting sick, mid-February, uh, I was watching uh, local news, the, 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 the night local news, and um, there was, a, there was a, uh, just a little news item that the, the newscaster, how many times did I say news just now, uh, read to the audience and said that uh, uh, a fraternity at the University of Minnesota has been temporarily suspended uh, and is being investigated although the details as to why and to what you know, they're looking for uh, are not available at this time, or however they put it. And they said the name of the fraternity. The fraternity was Delta Upsilon. I think that's how you say it. It's Delta, right? No, I think Upsilon is how it's said. And I, a lot of people say Upsilon, but I, I think the Greek, I don't know, what do I know? It's Greek to me. Well, I went, oh, no. That's that's my fraternity. That's the fraternity I've been doing this job for for you know as long as I've been doing it. And I thought my first reaction was ah shit, I've just lost that job. There goes that one. But I didn't know you know they didn't know why they didn't say why there wasn't any information there. So you know what am I to do? Well, uh, I figured you know I just I keep watching the news here and there and I didn't see anything more about it. And I mainly watched the morning news, but still nothing came up. And um. Last Sunday, it's you know it's, it's it rattled around the back of my head, and last Sunday I decided to go online and see if I could find any information. Well, I did. I found two articles uh, from the Minnesota Daily, which is the uh, the uh, newspaper of the University of Minnesota. So it's a student-run kind of thing, and uh, and I found these articles online. And uh, the first one that I found, the early, the the one the the earlier article um, of the two. Uh, was a, not quite as specific as to what was going on, but it was saying that there were there were incidents of sexual assault, either in the the fraternity house itself or on what they called their their spring formal, where they a whole bunch of them go to a cabin, and you know it's co-ed and you got, not the fraternity, but they bring they bring women with them, and you know some incidents happened. And I, can, and I can say that we're not just accused of it or allegations of it because it was investigated by the, uh, the by the school by the by the fraternity or its its parent you know it's the international Delta Upsilon International headquarters you know it was investigated and those you know that were found to have uh, you know the evidence pointed that these guys were you know did what was they were accused of so uh, there was uh, a disciplinary action taken. Uh, they were kicked out of the fraternity. Uh, one of them was expelled from the university, and I don't, you know, I don't think it was anything worse than that. But you know, still, you know, I, I think I can safely say that these aren't allegations. That you know, the stuff actually happened, or at least that's what was found by those uh, uh, bodies that were investigating it. At the end of that article, in the comments below, the very first comment was by someone that was affiliated with the fraternity. I don't know if he was a current member or a former member, but he was raising um, objections 
to the suspension. In fact, he was saying he didn't even know why they were being the, the suspension was being done because these incidents that took place back in 2015 had been dealt with uh, by the book. He said that, you know the, the the fraternity dealt with it, the university dealt with it. It was done by the book. Discipline was was meted out, and they were moving on. You know that's what they thought. So now all of a sudden this is happening, and he doesn't know why. And he said it's not fair to hold it against the other fraternity members, the current fraternity members, many of whom don't even know the guys that were involved in the in the assaults in the first place. But, <laughs> and I thought that was fair, a fair point for for the guy. But, but, thing is, he said he used the term witch hunt, which always kind of makes me, you know, that just seems. I don't know. I don't like it when that it's used. It seems like it's. Uh, uh, I don't know. It seems to me to indicate guilt. <laughs> you know, oh, it's a witch hunt. It's a witch. Hunt. Yeah, it seems to me that that's. That may, it may not be fair for me to think it that way. I am a skeptic. I should be open-minded to the evidence and all that, and I try to be. Uh, but the other thing he said was, you know, compared to other fraternities, we're choir boys. Now, when I read that, I wanted to transport myself to wherever that fellow is and say. Young man, that's not what you say. <laughs> what you say is, the right thing to say at that point is, because of these incidents, the fraternity has taken a hard look at themselves and how we deal with, with uh, sex within the fraternity, its members, the, the people that are brought into the fraternity for parties, how we deal with this, how we deal with drunkenness, how we do, we have, you know, and we've, we've learned, we've learned from this that we, we expect a certain level of behavior. We do not accept this anymore. This is not something that we uh, get behind or, you know, this is just not tolerable anymore. That's what you should be saying. That shows that you've grown and that you've learned and that something's you're moving forward. But to say, we're not as bad as the other guys. <laughs> you know, it's like some guy that, that uh, you know, murders his wife says, well, you know, I only killed one person. Ted Bundy killed how many? I'm not as bad as him. Yeah, well, you still killed somebody. And, and it's, and I, it, it, to me, saying that the choir boy thing is saying, you know, we didn't learn anything from this. Which leads me to the second article, which was more recent. But I will get to that when I come back from this break, which I'm going to cough and hack my lungs out while I'm gone. <laughs> It'll be enjoyable. I'll be back. Oh, yeah, it's Dimland Radio. Z-Talk Radio. Oh, sorry. I didn't get the post. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Did you see that UFO sighting that made the news? 
What did that latest study about alternative treatments really say? Is this photo making the rounds real or a hoax? Doubtful News is a unique website featuring news about pseudoscience, the paranormal, anomalies, and questionable claims framed with a skeptical view. Come visit doubtfulnews.com every day for news about cryptozoology, conspiracies, shams, scams, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Doubtful News. Critical thinking is essential in assessing today's news. Doubtful News helps you decide, can you really believe this stuff? Hey y'all, this is Tangina. You're gonna give me whiplash looking up there too. I've cleaned many houses, and I don't know what it is that hovers over Dr. Dem's house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take his wallet away from him. And I think what we might be dealing with is the beast. Hold on. Did you just say that Dr. Dem doesn't believe in poltergeists, tiny fortune tellers, or the beast? Well, holy sh**. Why the didn't somebody tell me? Anyway, Dr. Dem's a skeptic. He'll be right back on ztalkradio.com. I still think this house is clean. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Dr. Dim might even have a guest or two. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network network. Z-Talk Radio is committed to bringing you the best radio possible. We will test your senses with innovative and entertaining radio programming. Honest, informative, inspirational, and on occasion, controversial. Our listening audience will also have the opportunity to interact with the show hosts and guests through live chat and call-in capabilities. You can't be left out of the loop. Tune into all our live shows once, and you'll never turn your computer off again. Z-Talk Radio on your computer dial. Your healthy addiction. Welcome back to uh, Dimland Radio on the Ztalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Oh, man, the hacking and the coughing and the sniffling and the blowing the nose. Oh, oh man, the neighbors called. Are you okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I've done this show for seven years now. There's two things that's never happened while I do the show. Two things. At least as far as I can recall. And memory's not videotaped, so you know, take it for what it's worth. I've never sneezed while doing the show. And the phone has never rung, rang? The phone has never gone off while doing the show. Either could happen. And don't be saying, oh, well, now it's going to happen because you say, you know, we don't believe in jinxes, do we? Do we, kids? We don't believe in jinxes, right? 
because that's just, you know, thinking we're too important or something. All right. Um, the second article run by the Daily Mail, not the Daily Mail, the, uh, the Minnesota Daily, the Daily Mail is uh, some virtu almost fake news site. Sometimes they have real news on it, but it's a tabloid bullshit site you shouldn't even if you see daily mail on some headline that you see on facebook or social media you see daily mail next to it just think that uh, that's probably not true i mean it might be but chances are anyway so the second article had more detail it gave names uh names of the the women that had been assaulted names of the uh, of the men who had carried out the assaults and it had um, it had a video where they uh, the two women the two that came forward uh, are interviewed and uh, and it, you know and I and I'm watching this now. Remember, my first reaction was, "Oh shit, I'm not going to have this job now." Now my reaction is becoming, "Oh man, you know it's it's, it's getting sink it's sinking. I'm getting it's getting deeper and deeper. I'm thinking, uh, what what now?" You know what's what is going on? So let's I got to find out more. And in that second article, they gave names, and you should recall I would get a list of names and the scenarios. Well, the name of the fellow, the uh, the one that did the the most uh, despicable of the acts of the assaults, uh, his first name is Cisco. I saw that, I read that name and I went I know with a you know reasonable certainty that I've drawn something that you know for Cisco you know it was one of the names that came up now uh, uh, one of the names of the women was her first name was Kayla I don't quite recall that but she describes what it was that happened to her uh, how she feels. That's the two women we're talking about. You know, this is you know what it feels like to be on the campus now, and and hoping you know to get done with their studies and move on and and get on with their lives. But um, I I couldn't I didn't recognize Kayla for sure. And the thing thing is, the spec sheets that I get, I don't keep them. You know, once I've done the sketches and 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 done the the art, I, I throw out the spec sheets. I don't need them anymore. And who wants to have you know a bunch of sheets of paper sitting around, and or taking up room on your internets, you know, or on your computer, and uh, you know so I get rid of them. Uh, and I, I I haven't been able to find them in case I did keep them, but so I don't know. I don't know what I drew Cisco doing. I don't recall. I just know I had scenarios with his name. I don't know if Kayla's name was included, but she talked about you know the the attack that that happened to her, and then she says uh, she later after that she learned that uh, the the fraternity considered her one of the DU girls or Delta Upsilon girls. When she said that, I went that a bell went off in my head. I went oh that sounds familiar, the DU girls or Delta Upsilon girls. That sounds familiar, and so. I start putting this all together. Now, the article explained, before I get this all put together for you, the article explained the reason for the suspension. Because the, the fellow that uh, you know said they were like choir boys, he didn't know why the, the suspension was coming. Well, this article, which came out a couple weeks later than, uh, than 
than the, the first one that, uh, that I read, had said that there was a member, a current member of the fraternity, who had written an email to Delta Epsilon International Headquarters, which is somewhere out east, that way. I'm pointing east now, just so you know. And I'm, I know I'm pointing east, because that's where the sun comes up. Or the projection on the dome, because we all live on a flat earth. <laughs> anyway. He sent uh, an email, essentially as a whistleblower kind of thing, saying, look, the atmosphere here, the attitude here, uh, has not changed. It's not improved. The sexual predatory nature of the, of the fraternity is still there. And, you know, it concerned him, and he had problems with it, and brought it to the attention of uh, the, you know, the international headquarters of the fraternity, and they brought in a, a, um, a temporary suspension, and will investigate, and to see, you know, what the fraternity is up to. Well, put all that together, the name Cisco, the Delta Epsilon girls, you know, the fact that there were sexual assaults associated with the fraternity, a whistleblower saying that the atmosphere hasn't changed, and suddenly I'm looking at these drawings that I've done, and instead of, you know, my naively thinking that the, the sex acts that I've drawn on there were all consensual between boyfriend and girlfriend or hookups, you know, college, how it goes, uh, thinking that this is all consensual, or I might even, you know, thought that, you know, some of it were not even incidents that actually happened. They're just kind of like an inside joke between the guys, whatever. You know, I just naively assumed that, you know, consent was involved. Now I can't be certain that I did not draw depictions of rape. And when that occurred to me, I, I just felt... I can't, I just felt gross. I was like, I mean, if I had asked, gee, guys, uh, are all these sex acts consensual? What are they going to say? Oh, no, that one there? Oh, 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 oh no, we, we held her down and we, we did, you know, we did, we did her good, you know. No, no, she protested, but she really wanted it. Yeah. No, they're not going to, no, they're going to well, yeah, of course. They're not gonna, and and so, so now you know I I can't I can't do any more for these guys. I mean, if next year, if assuming the the fraternity stays on the campus, assuming that they do a pub crawl again next year, that's the job that I would do from a pub crawl, where they don't actually go from pub to pub to pub like like real pub crawls. What they do is they stay within the house, and they drink. 15 rounds of drinks. Ha ha ha, college. <laughs> 15 rounds of drinks. None of you die? No alcohol poisoning? Really? Alright. Assuming they do that again, and assuming they, just, they want to do shirts again, if they send me a spec sheet that has any sex in it, there's no way. I said, guys, I, I I can't do this. If they send me a spec sheet that's 
choir boys. <laughs> in fact, it was joked about at the Minnesota Skeptics. You know, just draw them as choir boys. Um, I, I, there's, there's no way. Now, the, poot, the, the point might be moot uh, because, you know, the fraternity might not keep its franchise or keep its charter or whatever they call it. Or even if it does, they might, you know, they just, look, we can't do something like that anymore. We have to, you know, we have to keep up appearances. You know, the chances are that I might not, you know, even, it might not even come up. But they, you know, I, I so I have to thank Maddie. Uh, she's a Minnesota skeptic. And uh, she, uh, she just happened to be on Facebook last Sunday morning when I was sitting there sinking into the, in, in, into my gut thinking of what my, I might have done, unwittingly, what I might have done, sinking and sinking, needing to talk to somebody. My wife was sleeping, and I didn't want to wake her up yet, and so it was pretty early yet on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, I was getting ready for church. <laughs> no, I was just up. And, and Maddie was, she was on Facebook, and so I just chatted with her, and I, I sent her the articles, and I told her about stuff, and she just, you know, she just gave me some good advice, and just kind of was a shoulder kind of thing, you know, an ear to listen to me, go through this, um, and just kind of figure things out, and she had some ideas, and so I said, do I keep the artwork? Because I have the originals, do I keep them? Yeah, I suppose I can. Yeah. Well... <clears throat> Then I talked to my wife a little bit later, and uh, and I will admit, and I know I play with the idea that I don't have emotions and I don't have feelings and things like that. Well, well, I don't. No, I do. <laughs> Obviously, if I'm uh, disturbed by this, and I got, I got, I got really close to uh, moments of tears, and it wasn't because the room got dusty. And Amy was there, just you know, as an emotional support to just kind of you know, you're a good man, uh, generally, and. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm close, but um, you didn't know. And don't beat yourself up, you know, that kind of thing. And other people were saying pretty much the same thing. And the Minnesota skeptics um, mentioned, and they said, well, you should keep the artwork. You know, because I was looking at it, I was thinking, you know, some of, this, some of the drawings that I did are pretty good. And I mean, it's like, you know. And I even sent information to, as I said, when I started working at Coldside, I worked with a, a fellow named Tim, and um, he was the art director, and then he left at some point, so we hired on uh, a woman named Leanne, and uh, she became art director, because she was very, very good at production stuff, and, and uh, doing the, the art that she could do, but still, I was the cartoonist guy, so I continued to get the jobs for the cartooning thing. Well, she had worked uh, on some aspect of the, of the pub crawl shirts after I left, and I would so when I would do the, the, the illustration, I would send it in, and I'd say, okay, here's where you have to, because there would be uh, type to lay in, and so here's where you lay in the type, and she'd clean up the drawings, not the, the content, just the, to make sure that the art looked was printable. And so I sent her information on that, and said, you know, and I asked her what she thought, and she said, well, you should keep you know, your artwork's important to you, you should keep it. So I'm going to. It's tainted. When I look at it, it's it's gonna I'm gonna be reminded it's tainted. But uh, uh, I didn't have a pleasant Sunday morning, uh, and I don't like that feeling. Um, I don't. I don't think it was. It wasn't a malicious thing against me. 
They, I think that the guys probably thought that, um, you know, if they were sending me something that was truly not consensual, I don't think they thought that about it. So, like I said, even if I asked them, hey, is all this, uh, you know, above board? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But, like, what are they going to say? But I don't want to uh, repeat myself <laughs> anymore on this. And I, I'm going to take a break a little bit earlier because you can hear my voice is getting a little croakier. So I'm going to wake the neighbors. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'll be after this. Uh, I'll be back after this break. Uh, thanks for listening to my little thing there. Thanks. Up on the sand, up on the bay There is a quick and easy way you say Before you illustrate, I'd rather stay I'm not the man you think I am I'm not the man you think You're listening to Z-Talk Radio The number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio so keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. This is Meryl Streep. There's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can. Colorectal cancer. It's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., but it is almost entirely preventable. Screening finds polyps Meryl so they can Streep. be removed before they She's turn overrated. into cancer. If you're Believe over 50, me. get screened for colorectal cancer. That cold Screening stuff, saves lives. Overrated. It could really Believe save me. your life. For more Terrible information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Never done a worse Don't just take my word Never. for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com. This message will self-destruct. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. No, I'm really not okay. No, yeah, yeah. My show's coming back. I gotta go. Bye. Uh, welcome back to uh, Dimland Radio. Uh, I was just talking to my neighbor there. That's heard all that coughing and hacking. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, on uh, Z, uh, Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Okay. <sighs> um. Yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough. You know, you know what's great? Free beer. I mean, if you like beer, and I'm a beer drinker, not much. Not 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 the way I used to be. Certainly not the way the kids are in college. Um, but um. You, it, when I was getting toward my 30s, and I'm much older than that now, uh, I started realizing that, boy, you know, I, I really didn't like the hangovers, and I wasn't too thrilled about the being drunk part anymore. It just, 
I don't know. I mean, I had my moments younger and drinking, and ugh, I did, I did, I did some stupid stuff. And fortunately, uh, nothing terrible happened, but boy, it could have. So, you know, hey. <laughs> but um, I started realizing the hangovers were just hideous and awful. What the hell? Why would people do this to us? To ourselves, I should say. And, uh, um, but anyway. When I started backing away from the heavy drinking or the heavy-ish drinking that I used to do and started just kind of, uh, now I'm like maybe one beer in a week, maybe, maybe two, uh, you know. I mean, the Skeptics uh, Meetup uh, Thursday, um, I had two beers that night. I rare. Usually I just have one. But I decided, eh, I'm going to have another one. And, and that was fine. It was fine the next day. It was fine. You know, it's a long time, two beers, no big deal. Um, but in that amount of time in the old days, I might have six or seven, maybe eight. <laughs> so you can see it's a little different now. And <clears throat> so, as I said, free beer is great. Uh, you know, it's uh, unless, huh. see my boss, see, as I got older, I started to not drink as much, and so I would, when I did have beer, I would have better beer. And I landed on a, a, a local beer, Summit Extra Pale Ale. You may have heard of it, I'm not sure how national it is, but it's a fairly largeable, a largeable, <laughs> larger, small brewery kind of thing. It's not Budweiser and Anheuser and Bush, that kind of thing. It's not, it's not Miller, it's not them, and it certainly tastes a lot better than that crap. But I kind of, you know, that's the one. That's my beer. And my boss would every now and then get me, a, you know, a 12-pack of, of that beer. Then he told me the other day, just last week, middle of the week, he says, uh, I'm going to pick you up some beer. Oh, good. And I assumed he was going to walk in with a 12-pack of Summit Extra Pale Ale. And he comes in, and I didn't see him carrying in the beer. Uh, he sets it on my front desk, and he says, ah, you know, he makes some kind of joke about it. And then I look around, and I see what he brought in. And I've grown um, in in some ways. I, uh, you know, when I was younger, I might have said, "Really? <laughs> no, I, I've grown." And so I says, "Oh, ah, thank you, well, thanks, great." Um, and then I um, I brought it home, and I said to my wife, she's sitting out in the living room. I'm looking in from the kitchen. And I said, "Oh, uh, Kevin." Uh, Got, a, got me a 12-pack of beer. And she says, oh, good. And then I held it up. Rolling Rock. Uh, if you like Rolling Rock, okay, fine. Rolling Rock. <laughs> My wife looked at it, and she just went, oh. And she, and she did that kind of that Jack Benny, uh, Jack, uh, Johnny Carson thing where they, they'd look, they, they would look to their side. They would look away from the, the, when something preposterous would happen or something weird would happen. They look away almost to you know. She was like, "Have you ever do that?" You ever, I do it. You almost look like you're uh, you're almost breaking the fourth wall of your own life and looking out to the audience and saying and 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 giving them a look that seems to say, "It's is it me? Is it is it me? Is this nuts? What is it me?" So she was doing that, and she looks at me and says, "Why?" And I said, "I don't know." Time and time again, buying Summit, and he, this time he comes with Rolling Rock. First of all, it's a Pilsner, and I, I'm not a big fan of Pilsners because you got to drink them while they're cold. 
This is a reason why Coors makes a big deal out of being so cold. Because if you could taste it, ooh, <laughs> it's, I'm having one right now because, well, free beer. <laughs> so, I, I, like I said, I was adult. I accepted the, the gift graciously. I thanked him for it. Maybe next time I will subtly uh, mention to him when he says, oh, I'm going to pick you up some beer, and I'll say, yeah, well, you better get some goddamn Summit, not that crap that you got me last time. Or words to that effect. Oh, and, and I don't know if I mentioned it at the top when I was saying my, my voice is extra husky because of the, the, the skeptic meetup. You know, that we have to, you're in a bar, so you have to kind of speak up. So I talked a bit, and that, that's why. Yeah, that's why I don't know if I mentioned that. But speaking of the uh, of the uh, of the Minnesota skeptics and the meetup, uh, I've got uh, one of these. It's time for another Dinland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? This is actually a twofer uh, pedantic moment. And and it is the first ever, this might become a thing, if I ever get listeners, this might become a thing. This is going to be the first ever Dimland pedantic moment listener edition. An actual listener, I do have a couple, gave me this pedantic moment. So... I would. I thought, hey, that's kind of cool. I'll, I'll offer for listeners. If you want to send me in a pedantic moment, something you're, that you found that you have some bit of pedantry about, you can send it to Dr. Dim at dimland.com. D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. Send it to me. And if I think it's good, I'll, I'll put it on there. And if you want me to say your name, I will. If you don't want me to, I won't. But, you know, I'll say it was a listener-contributed uh, uh, pedantic moment. So I do have one from a listener, but first I'm going to do mine, and it's both related to the the same thing. It's you know it's it's so okay. Last week when I was uh, uh, talking about uh, not punching Nazis because they have bad ideas um, at the end of the show last week, about the last ten minutes of the show, I mentioned the movie Twelve Angry Men. And there's uh, uh, and so these these two pedantic moments have to deal with a twelve anger men. I'm going to go with mine first because it's not as good as the one that the listener sent in. So I'll do that one next. At least I think the one the listener sent is really good because his is a his is a plot hole kind of thing. It can change. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's do mine first. Okay. <clears throat> Now uh, the idea of the movie is uh, um, it's uh, it's a murder case. Uh, the twelve angry men are the jurors deciding on the uh, guilt or innocence of a uh, of a eighteen year old man who has been brought to trial for uh, uh, um, for killing his father, and they're to determine if it, you know if he's actually guilty of doing that. And if they do find that he's guilty, he gets the death penalty. There's no, you know, it's mandatory. It's going to happen. That's what they set up in the movie. And um, juror number eight played by Henry Fonda, is the only one that says not guilty in the first vote around the table. Everybody else 
thought he was guilty. So what he does then, the movie is then the next. It's about a ninety-minute movie. So the next ninety minutes or so is is him arguing with the guys, presenting evidence, looking at stuff uh, to the testimony and testing things out and looking at things and presenting arguments that begin to turn the other juror members starts to raise reasonable doubt throughout the uh, jury room. Now, I it's a 60-year-old movie. I'm not going to ruin it. Now, I mean, he does turn them all around. There's a very emotional one at the very end, the last holdout. It's very emotional. It happens. He, and finally he realizes why he was holding out for guilty. And, and I won't give away that, but, you know, and then there's a, a kind of a cathartic moment for him and you know then they there's the you know he's realized he's wrong and he turns his vote over to to guilty um, and then comes the twist because juror number eight says guys I'm just shitting you he's guilty as hell and the last guy that he turned puts his hands on his hips, and he says, oh, you, and it's a freeze frame as they all start laughing, and it's one of those things, and then there's text that goes over the screen that says, uh, the jury came in with a guilty verdict, and the defendant was sent to prison to await the death penalty. Uh, after he had exhausted his last appeal, 10 years later, he was put to death. Oh, what a movie. <laughs> anyway. One of the things they did in the movie was um, they were they looked at this testimony given by one of the witnesses. Now you should know eyewitnesses are shit. Okay, it's the worst form of evidence in 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 courts. It is because memory is just so bad, and people's perception of things that happen is so bad. And yet, in the court system, it's it's the stuff that seems to be the most uh, 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 heavily leaned upon. The circumstantial stuff is actually better evidence. But they always say, that's just circumstantial evidence. Yeah, and it's better than somebody trying to tell you what they remember of the event. <laughs> anyway, there's an old man that lives below the, the, the young man and his father. He hears... The young man yell, I'm going to kill you. He hears the body hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. The, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, he hears that while he's in bed. He gets up out of his bed, gets out of his bedroom, goes down the hall, opens the door, and he sees the kid run down the stairs. And, he's, and the old man says it takes 15 seconds. Now, the old man had a stroke the year before. He walks slowly with a limp. He drags his foot. You know, and so now they're just, you know, juror number eight is kind of saying, well, how long would it take to make that? They had a diagram of the uh, of the apartment. It, it, you know, and so he pasted all of it, all that out in the in the in the jury room, and he gets uh, John Fielder, uh, that's juror number two, to come over and time him, and he said, you know, so he sets up a couple of chairs and he sits on it like he's on a bed, and he says, okay, 
when when you're when you're ready, stomp your foot. That'll be the body hitting the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the uh, sorry. Um, anyway, so so they do it and they do the little experiment. And one guy says, "Well, you could go faster than that." So you know, number eight says, "Okay, I'll go a little faster." And he comes around. and He finally gets done. He gets the, he gets the thing. Does the door open? Look out the door. And then he says, "Time." And he looks over at John Fielder, uh, the actor, uh, juror number two, and he says, "You know, what, what, how much time?" And 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 number two looks at it and says, uh, looks at his watch and he says, uh, exactly f- uh, 41 seconds. Now, a pedant like myself, having watched the movie several times, thought, huh, I wonder. So I grab my watch, I rewind the scene, I time it, 32 seconds. That's how much time it takes in the film. See? But, but in movies... You know, time is, is kind of nebulous. But but it's still longer than 15 seconds. Okay, that's mine. That's mine. Not, that's, that's all right. Mine's a minutia, pedantic thing. But the listener, and the listener is one of the Minnesota skeptics, a fellow named Tim. Tim came in that night, uh, and he sees me, and he comes over to me, and he says, I got a pedantic moment for you about 12 Angry Men. I said, okay, all right, lay it on me. He says, early in the movie, there's a scene, and I'll put both of these scenes on the show notes page, which you can get to by going to dimland.com and clicking on the blog option. Uh, Sometime late in the day on Monday, you can do it. The show notes will be up. And I'll put both the clips on there or links to the clips so you can can watch them. And you can time out the, the walk yourself and see how close I got. Anyway, Early in the film, and I think it's the first bit of uh, evidence that they begin to re-examine. Uh, uh, juror number eight wants to take a look at the uh, at the murder weapon, which was a switchblade knife that was plunged into the old man, the the the, the father. And so uh, the the juror number one, Martin Balsam, he gets the bailiff to bring in the knife. They get the knife, and juror number four, E.G. Marshall. He makes a good argument, a good case about how this knife is very unusual. Uh, it's you know, and this is the knife that was in them. Uh, the kid had said that it fell out of a hole in his pocket. Not a, very, a pretty flimsy excuse of why you know, why his knife would be found in his father. And and he and he, he opens the blade. You know, he does. It's a switchblade knife, so he pops out the blade. And the handle has a bit of a, a dragon or something on it. And the blade is a little unusual. And he and he tosses it. You know, kind of. Set, does a little mumbly peg thing where the the uh, the knife sticks in the table, you know, dramatic, you know, boom, and there's the tag on there. It's the evidence tag, and that and so then the jurors all start saying, you know, it's preposterous to think that this his story that it fell out of his pocket is true, and this knife just ends up in his father. And they're saying, how do you explain that? Well, you know, it's a very unique knife. It's a very, well, you know, can he be very unique? It's a it's a unique knife. There can't be too many like this in the world. And juror number eight stands up, reaches into his jacket pocket, pulls out a switchblade knife, extends the blade, and, and mumbly pegs it down onto the table. These guys have no regard for government property. And it's the exact same knife, you know, the same kind of knife, the same pattern on the handle, same kind of blade. And, of course, all the guys go, wah, 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 how did this happen? And number eight explains to them, says, last night I was... Walking through the kid's neighborhood, I was thinking things out and just getting a feel for the neighborhood. 
and I and I found this knife in a pawn shop, not two blocks from where the kid lives, and I bought it for six dollars. Well, juror number four says it's illegal to buy or sell switchblade knives. Number eight, that's right. You know, I broke the law. But see, not only did he do that, not only did he do that, he made a mistrial. You see, when jurors are instructed by the, the judge, they are instructed to consider the evidence presented in court. They're not supposed to go out and do investigations. They're not supposed to, on their own and go out and see, boy, can I find that knife? Can I go, you know, you know they're, not, they're not supposed to talk to witnesses. They're not supposed to do, they're not even, if you're not in the case, you know, in the courtroom, you're not supposed to talk to the lawyers. When you're outside of it, when I did a jury duty thing, we were trying to figure out where the vending machines were and we were in the elevator with the prosecutor, some of us, and we were mentioning something, you know, the elevator, is it down that way? And we kind of looked at him and he just, he just did a slow nod. We're not supposed to talk. So this, this guy, juror number eight, just made a mistrial because you know what's going to happen. All right, after the, the timing, the walking timing thing, there was a bit of a, 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 a heightened tempers. Juror number eight and juror number three, number three was the last holdout. They got you know, kind of into a little, uh, little debate that got a little heated and... Little, little skerfuffle, no, no punches, no nothing like that. But just, a, you know, the guys had to hold one guy back, you know, that kind of thing. And the, and the bailiff comes in and says, everything okay in here, gents? And uh, the for, for, foreman says, oh, no, it, it's fine. Just, you know, just, just a little argument, but we're, we're, we're fine. Oh, oh, you can, we're done with the knife. You can have that back. And he hands him back the evidence knife, the murder weapon. He hands that back to him. Well, the movie continues, and there's that big moment where the final holdout for guilty changes his vote and once that's done there's like there's like a, a relief in the room and then of course there's that joke that I no that didn't happen I was making that up I think you knew that when that happens and you know they they prepare they you know they they they, they let the bailiff know that they have a verdict and they start to leave the room and the camera pans across the table and there on the table is the knife that juror number eight brought in well, the bailiff is going to come in and he's going to clean up the room. He's going to find the other knife. And he's going to think, didn't they give this back to me? And he's going to go check. And he's going to, you know, and he's, wait a minute, they did. And he's going to go to the judge. And the judge is going to bring those jurors back and say, where the hell did this knife come from, boys? What is this? And they're going to be under oath. They're going to have to tell the truth. And they're going to find out that juror number eight did some investigating on his own. And you got yourself a mistrial. Pretty good, right? That's that's a good that's a that's a plot hole. That's definitely a plot hole. Uh, so so if you have a pedantic moment, send it in. I, who knows? Might end up on the show uh, at uh, DRM. No, <laughs> DR DIM at Dimon.com. Doctor Dim at Dimon.com. Good night. Uh, yeah, nice. you can hear. I'm losing the voice, and so um, be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Uh, uh, you've been listening to Dim Light Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'll be back next week, hopefully with a better voice. So, sleep with the lights off, everybody.
You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Bonjour, Monsieur Dim. You are too clever for us naughty people. Well, well I'm, I'm going, going to, hell. to hell. So she says. At first, I wasn't sure if you would be, like, thinking you're some local celebrity in the group, and I wasn't sure you know, about you, but it took a couple of times with you being around. And I said, but nobody knows who I am. And she says, well, I know that now.